Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 85 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, I had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting about all things grizzly bears and being bear aware when recreating outside. I'll say that I have a healthy fear of bears of all varieties, and I learned so much chatting with today's guest whose expertise can help us enjoy time outside while still respecting the places that bears call home. Garrett Tovey is a wildlife biologist, educator, and long-distance backpacker working to train educators in Glacier National Park and the surrounding Flathead National Forest. He has extensive experience working with and around grizzly bears and focuses on teaching park visitors how to remain safe while in bear country. So thanks for joining me on the show today, Garrett. I have been very interested in learning more about bears for a very long time, so I'm really excited that you're here. But before we kind of get into all of that information, I do want to know a little bit more about your background and kind of how you fell in love with the outdoors and also how outdoor recreation fits into your daily life. Yeah, great question. I think my love of the outdoors kind of started really, really young. I was pretty lucky to grow up where I grew up in in Southern Georgia. And I had a father that encouraged me to go outside and play. I was kind of that typical kid that was no shirt, overalls, barefoot with a frog in his pocket, running around with my yellow lab through the woods. That was basically my childhood growing up. So I think from an early age, I just fell in love with being outside and then got into hiking and backpacking pretty young. Once I could carry, you know, my own stuff, my dad and I would go hiking in the Smokies pretty much twice a year, every single year, all through the end of high school. And then once I finished undergrad work at University of Georgia, I decided to through hike the Appalachian Trail and kind of do it all at one go. As kind of my farewell to the the East Coast, I knew I was going to be moving out West and, you know, was considering different grad schools and, and wildlife biology programs and knew that the Rocky Mountains were calling me. So I decided to to do that hike. But yeah, I think pretty much 100%, you know, thanks to my dad, I, I got just outdoors and did what I could. Yeah. So you mentioned that grad school was maybe one draw to the West and you live in Montana now, correct? That's yeah. Correct. So, so kind of how did you make that transition or what brought you to Montana? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I was at the University of Georgia and I was in my second year and I knew, so after my first year, I went back home and that was just miserable. You know, I think when you live on your own for the first year away from home and then you go back home and it's like, oh yeah, this is what the rules is like, you know, having rules is like, and it wasn't fun. So during my second year, I was, I was just a pre-med, like typical biology major, had no idea really what I wanted to do, just something in science. And I started looking for internships and there was this really cool internship that I saw through the University of Montana that's in Missoula. And they were looking for just kind of science majors, you know, that could hike really well, that had some backpacking experience. And I think I made 55 bucks a week. We were working on a, a lynx research study that they were doing some lynx population surveys throughout Northwestern Montana. And it started up here in Glacier. And so I took the opportunity. I'd never really been much out of Georgia, 
let alone, you know, west of the Mississippi. And so 19 years old, just kind of bright eyed, came out here for the first time and just was awestruck and said, yep, this is exactly where I want to spend the rest of my life. So it didn't take much to get me out to Montana. (laughs) Yeah, that part of Montana in particular is especially stunning. Like, I don't know. It is definitely one of my favorite parts of the country up there by Glacier. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I think it does draw a lot of people in, obviously, because of the beauty. I think Southerners in particular might have this affinity for this area just because of so many trees. You know, I grew up, like I said, in Georgia. I'm just used to like really, really dense green everything everywhere I was hiking. And other parts of the state, you don't really get that. Like I worked for a while in Yellowstone, very, you know, vast, open, sage. It's just a different landscape. Up here in northwestern Montana, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, really densely treed. So much moisture is in the, the area over here. And and then just couple that with the, the snow-capped peaks. It's hard to, hard to turn down. Yeah, it's hard to beat, that's for sure. Yeah. So after that experience, is that when you decided to pursue like biology specifically for bears or where, when did that fit in? Yeah, I actually really didn't care anything about bears. I had a couple of experiences that summer, you know, working and bears were just kind of this part of doing field research with rare carnivores. I had no idea that I could like be a bear expert in any way, just doing you know, research on lynx and wolverines and just, you know, being in this area that's obviously densely populated with grizz, you know, we were trained on how to be safe around bears, but it wasn't anything that I looked into studying. And then, you know, kind of just moving forward in my career and having that experience with the research I did and realizing that actually it's pretty hard to get hired in somewhere where, you know, you're a rare carnivore expert and, you know, a lynx specialist isn't really, you know, marketable anywhere unless there's research being done on those animals. And so I found that it was pretty easy to get hired, you know, having an expertise in bears. And so I started doing a lot more research and different projects and different schools and just figured out that everywhere that I worked and every job that I had. And, and, you know, the more experience I got with bears, it just became easier and easier to kind of make that transition. I think there are a lot of jobs out there if the animal you're studying can kill you. Honestly, I I think people... People don't really think about the rare carnivores, the mesocarnivores, like, you know, in terms of science and research, but look at federal and state governments, they're putting a lot of money into having these employees that will study and tag and and try and mitigate any sort of nuisance activity if the animal is dangerous. And so it kind of fell into that. Yeah. Is that what you are doing with Glacier right now, or is it a different job description altogether? Yeah, it's a little bit different. So right now I am the director of education for the Glacier Institute. And the Glacier Institute is the official education kind of arm, the the partner of Glacier National Park. So I basically train teachers and I also do a lot of like bear safety training for the different contract groups that might work inside Glacier. Like there are like for-profit concessionaire hiking groups that lead tours. So training that, I, I also train groups of like NPS volunteers that or maybe backcountry volunteers just checking for permits or bear sprays. So I train those folks how to be safe in grizz country. And then I train all of our educators. We have 22 seasonal educators that might come from all over you know, the U.S. and different parts of the, the country. So they don't have a lot of bear experience. And so teaching people how to be in the backcountry full time, you know, working, teaching on the trails, basically figuring out how to be safe around grizzlies. Yeah, so it sounds like you still have a really large focus to the bears themselves. And do you teach about any other aspects about like just general wildlife safety or is it pretty strictly about grizzly bears? Yeah, 
just based on you know the requirements of my job i do i teach a variety of things. like later on the summer i'm teaching a class on wolves i tend to choose to make most things about bears especially when i'm doing a lot of staff training you know i'll, I'll put that out there a lot of outside groups will contact me knowing that i have the bear training and the experience that i have but technically i'm supposed to be teaching on a little bit of everything so i do wear several hats day to day but i prefer the bear hat <laughs> the bear hat <laughs> Um, so I guess if you're wearing the bear hat now, what would be the number one question that you get asked, whether you're working in the park or just in some of your trainings? Yeah, I think just the number one question I hear is, is how, how do we stay safe? A lot of people hear horror stories about grizzlies, that they're these, you know, man hunters just out there trying to get people quite often. And a lot of people, you know, I really do love this fact that people are getting education about bears. And they like, I know they can smell really well. And I mean, it's true. Grizzly bears have an incredible sense of smell. So do black bears. And so they're asking like, you know, how do I carry my food? How do I store food safely? If they're just out day hiking, like, is it safe to pack a tuna sandwich? You know, like just random things like that. And so, you know, going from the average day hiker out here, maybe that has never, ever hiked a single trail in, in Montana to explain that, you know, food storage is okay. You know, we'll never, ever prevent a bear from smelling anything, regardless of what high tech, you know, Ziploc bag or whatever you have. Bears are always going to to smell your food. Just it's our job and our duty to make sure they can't gain access to that to get that food reward. As they are obviously very intelligent, and so we want to make sure that they don't learn to associate humans with food like they have in other national parks. So that's kind of your basic question, all the way to your experienced backcountry, you know, backpacker. You know, do I need to bring my bear canister in Glacier? I and mean, oftentimes, you know, that answer is no. Obviously, uh, we have a lot of established sites in which we have either metal bear lockers or hang poles for people to hang their bear bags. So here in Glacier, we're, we're pretty lucky. We haven't, I'll knock on wood here, but we haven't really gotten into where our bears are really getting food conditioned. Folks have been pretty responsible in terms of limiting that food reward that bears get. Yeah, that's good to hear. It is interesting, though, to hear you talk about like the different ways to store the food. And but before we talk about that, I am wondering, why do you think there is like such a wide concern about bears? Do you think it is just because of like there's a lack of knowledge or the way it's portrayed in media or even like there are a lot of stories about bears? So yeah, that's that's true. I think just portrayal of you know what we call like a, like the charismatic megafauna, right? These these big beautiful animals that everyone comes to see in in a park like this, and you know moose and grizzly bears, and when there's a story about you know someone that unfortunately has a negative encounter with a bear, it tends to get like national recognition. You know, just kind of like shark attacks. You know, like these things just get really publicized and people become very aware. You know, like there's a significant more number of people that they get injured on a swing set and then get <laughs> each year than get injured by bears. And so the number is relatively small. Obviously, we want to do everything we can to keep that number small and, and to make sure that the bears stay safe as well as the humans staying safe. Yeah, I, I think it's it's portrayal. I think people, you know, we're often fearful of, of what we don't always understand, you know, and what we don't always know completely. A lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about bears, you know, so you know, of course, Glacier is probably most famous for the Night of the Grizzly attack that happened in 1967, where two people unfortunately lost their lives. And it was the same night, which was really weird, two different bears. And so people, I think, maybe read that book, or they've seen that show, or, you know, the PBS documentary that was on it. And they think, oh, like, this is a dangerous spot to be. But 
just having bears here, which we have a beautiful, healthy population of bears here, the densest concentration in the lower 48, actually. So, you know, just having bears here doesn't mean that, that it's dangerous. You know, we can still safely recreate in areas that have a high concentration of bears. I did not know that about Glacier. I'll have to look up that story. It sounds kind of terrifying, but it would be interesting to read. Yeah. <laughs> It is, it is a good read, you know, the the documentary that was put out about it. And I think I could be wrong. I think I think there is a film about it as well. But the documentary is great. The book is great. It's very informative. Unfortunately, you know, at that time, our, our the ways of managing, you know, food disposal and waste wasn't the most responsible in terms of wildlife safety. So obviously, we've made huge leaps and bounds in terms of how we safely store our food and dispose of our food. So yeah, those two incidents that occurred on the same night, you know, we have changed a lot in the park regarding how we deal with and hopefully not having as many attractants around. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that, about food storage, but also about just like general recreation. Because like you were saying with day hikers, you're not necessarily going to be storing your food overnight or anything. So what are some things that people can do anywhere where there are bears, regardless if they're grizzly or black bears, to be more aware and just like prevent unnecessary encounters? Yeah, that's something I focus on on a day-to-day basis, honestly. The number one bear deterrent out there is the human voice. It really doesn't sound like anything else. A lot of people will will say, oh, I, I blew an air horn or I have a bell on my backpack, which, you know, those things just, they sound similar to maybe a bird or wind chimes from a house that a bear might have gotten a food reward at. You know, the human voice is pretty unique and bears don't really have any desire to come into contact with humans as long as that food reward isn't associated with the human voice. But yeah, just talking at a normal volume, you know, with your hiking partners, if you're hiking solo, which I tend to do quite a bit, I know a lot of people get scared about that. I think it's totally fine as long as you're safe and responsible. I kind of sing or I narrate, I'm a horrible singer, maybe that that's what does it. But I also like narrate what I do, you know, if I'm going to jump over a log or jump over a creek, you know, climb that hill, whatever it is, I just kind of just say it loudly you know, not screaming, but in a way that is if I had hiking partners, they would be able to hear me. And that coupled with our very strong smell to a bear tends to mitigate any potential encounter. Being aware of where you're more vulnerable is also important. So when I'm hiking near streams that might be loud or I'm, you know, hiking near an area where I don't have a, a good line of sight, maybe in a, a you know, a dark corridor around some corners, the trail makes sharp turns, an area where might, you know, like hunters might have been. And so there could be, you know, gut piles or anything like that that could have attracted bears nearby. Just kind of knowing the the areas and the activities that I'm doing, those areas where I'm hiking and certain activities that might make me more vulnerable. Safety is never an accident. So anticipating encounters and being prepared is always a good thing. And obviously being proficient with your bear spray, knowing how to safely carry it and safely deploy it is always 100% recommended. Yeah, bear spray is a must. I learned in Montana. I did a bike packing trip, like kind of in Glacier, outside of Glacier last year. And I did carry bear spray. And something that I learned, like the voice thing that you're explaining, I never knew that about bears, even though I had been in areas with bears before. Because my friend that I was with, she's like, okay, when we go around these blind corners, we should say something. And I was Mm -hmm. like, why? And then she explained it. But it makes so much sense because it really doesn't sound like anything. 
You're so, right. You're right. And and I'm so glad you have a friend that said that. I'm also really, I haven't asked you this, but I'm also really glad I'm assuming that your friend did not say for you to yell, hey, bear. That is something I think that is commonly told for hikers and anyone recreating in grizzly country to just at the top of your lungs start screaming, hey, bear, hey, bear, hey, bear. The problem with that is, is what do you say when you actually see a bear? You know, I have been in areas where we've been like maybe out looking for nuisance bears or, or setting traps or retrieving hair from hair snares, whatever it is. And I hear everyone screaming the word bear and it can really be confusing. You know, like, do they actually have their eyeballs on a bear or are they just saying it to prevent any encounter? So I always recommend saying anything else, singing, just speaking, just saying whatever you want. Therefore, if you actually do see a bear, you can say the words, hey, bear, you know, here I am, bear. And people actually around you understand that, okay, you know, they have actually eyeballs on a bear right now. And that's the safest thing. But yeah, bicycling is a, is a common question we get asked in the park. Obviously, it's a beautiful area. People love to mountain bike in this area. The major recommendation that I always make is for folks to carry bear spray actually on their person and not on their bike or in their like <laughs> water ball cages or maybe lashed to their handlebars. We've had had incidents where people are actually thrown from their bikes or they might toss their bikes and run from it, you know, in potential encounters. And then therefore, obviously, you're away from your bear spray. So keeping that on your body is always the safest option. Yeah. And I would assume it's the same for backpacking as well. Like regardless, you want the bear spray to be very accessible. And I do want to talk about like other deterrents that people may want to carry such as firearms because i do know like statistically that bear spray is supposed to be more effective so if you could speak a little bit on the importance of bear spray and like maybe kind of how to use it yeah of course based on what i do i have my binocular pack with bear spray attached to it right here in my desk you know i'm using this stuff every day not using bear spray every day but i I carry (laughs) it every day obviously I've had had to deploy bear spray quite a lot just in my line of work. And it, it's something that saved my life. And yeah, whenever you're backpacking and you're carrying bear spray, you know, it's always important that it's accessible and readily accessible. If you imagine, you know, at 40 yards, a bear charging at you roughly 35 miles an hour, you might have a little less than two seconds to react. And if that bear spray is inside your backpack or maybe inside the package that you bought it in, or if it's like in your, even your water bottle holder, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm backpacking, I have a difficult time kind of reaching my water bottle sometimes. So I always, you know, I prefer my binocular case and I have a a really nice bear spray attachment onto that, which is super accessible. A lot of folks will actually carry their bear spray attached to their sternum strap. It's also readily accessible or even attached to their hip belt, you know, something, whatever it is, wherever you choose to carry your bear spray, just make sure you you know exactly where it is and it's readily accessible. Anytime I'm hiking, I, just muscle memory, I just tap my bear spray. I tap it probably once every other second, just out of habit. So when it comes time to actually needing to draw it quickly, I know exactly where it's at. I know the angle that my arm has to be at to touch it. So just having it readily accessible. In regards to, you know, bear spray versus firearms, you know, there are a lot of heated opinions on this. Honestly, I personally carry bear spray and I wouldn't trust my life to only a firearm. There have been times where I've carried firearms or maybe been asked to carry firearms for my job or whatever, but I I still will have bear spray as a first, first reaction. I do not need to be accurate with bear spray. Whereas if you imagine the size of a grizzly bear charging you head down and looking at trying to place a kill shot very accurately in a small area, as your adrenaline is pumping and your heart's racing and the vast majority of us are not special forces trained marks people. And it's just difficult to deliver an accurate kill shot. And even if you don't 
bring the bear down. You have an injured bear that's now really ticked off. With bear spray, when you properly deploy bear spray and you safely deploy it, you're going to create a wall that that bear has to come through to get to you. And you don't have to be accurate. You don't have to worry about, oh man, I just wounded the bear. Now it's really mad. You know, bear spray for me has obviously worked every time. I'm still here. But the reactions that I've seen with bears around bear spray, they're intelligent animals. There have been times, I kid you not, where I've pulled bear spray and a bear has seen it and it stops the bear in their tracks and they go the other way. They know exactly what it is. If you imagine an animal with a sense of smell, give or take 21 million times as acute as ours, bear spray will definitely incapacitate them. They don't want any part of it. They hate it. So in terms of properly deploying bear spray, the main thing I always recommend to folks outside of it being readily accessible is never to remove the safety until you're ready to deploy bear spray. I'm in the camp of using my entire can of bear spray. You have a lot of different experts that say, oh, just spray for a second and kind of see what it does. I don't think like that. If it gets to a point to where I need to deploy my bear spray, I'm going to deploy the full can. But that's also the reason why I carry multiple cans. You know, if I'm in the back country, I have no less than three. You know, I'll have a can. And if I spray a bear, my trip is over. I need to hike out. And then I have a can for that hike out. And then I always have a backup of some sort if I need it. So that's a minimum of three cans. Obviously, I know it's not very cheap and, and really accessible. So, you know, I just lucky that I, I live and work in an area where I can have access to bear spray anytime I need it. So that's kind of my mantra with that. If I'm going to spray a bear, I'm going to get at everything that I have in order to make that encounter as negative as possible. And whenever I am deploying bear spray, I'm going to speak to that bear. Again, I'm going to talk to it and make sure that it associates that human voice again with a negative encounter. They don't want anything to do with this pepper spray. And so when they get that experience, they need to be hearing the human voice. And then next time, since there is a next time, since you haven't killed the bear, they hear the human voice and they choose to go the other way. You know, that's in the long run, the safest thing. Yeah, it just kind of sounds like you're just conditioning the bear to stay away. And I mean, they're very intelligent. So it is interesting to hear you say that like you have pulled out a can before and the bear has seen it and was like, actually, no, I'm not doing that. We talked a little bit about like biking and backpacking and just generally recreating. But one thing that I know a lot of listeners have dogs and will recreate with dogs. And that has been a concern of mine when I am hiking in bear country that I have my dog with me. So do you have any tips for how to manage your dog around predators like bears or also for other wildlife so we can better respect wildlife when we are bringing our dogs? Yeah, that's that's an awesome question. And thank you for bringing that up. I have two dogs, Hank and Addie, and I, they go with me everywhere where they're allowed to go, obviously not in the park. And I also tend to hike with them off leash, but I'm aware of the issues that I could, you know, run into. My dogs are, are very well voice command trained, and I, I don't recommend ever hiking in grizz country or, or any bear country for that matter, certainly off leash if your dogs do not have an immediate recall response and they don't come back. A lot of dogs get overly stimulated when they're in the woods and have lots of smells and fun things and they want to just run and run. Obviously in grizz country, that can be a dangerous thing. Historically, and still in certain states where it's legal, people do hunt bears with dogs. And so, I mean, I have seen little bitty like Yorkies scare away bears sometimes, you know, at bears that might venture onto someone's porch and a dog jumps at the window and the bear, you know, gets scared and runs away. It does happen. However, there are cases where the bear just simply swats and that's a, a powerful enough thing to unfortunately injure the dog pretty well. So 
keeping a, a good recall on your dog, hiking with, with them obviously on a leash is safe. Generally, again, because a bear's sense of smell is so strong, you know, that mixture of a human smell, a dog smell is going to be enough to deter them. Often, again, I'm speaking to my dogs. I'm calling them back if they're too far. I'm calling them up if they've, you know, lingered at the creek too long, whatever it is. And so that human voice and, and again, getting those bears used to, oh, I'm hearing people, I need to go the other way. So just maintaining tight control, whether that means I'm going to hike with them on a leash or if it's off leash, being aware of things, you know, like bears and other animals you might run into. I've run into moose. I've run into mountain lion. I've actually run in and seen leg hole traps as well. Obviously here in Northwest Montana, that's still a, a part of culture out here. And so we need to just be aware and, and have the proper safety precautions. In regards to other wildlife, typically, again, I like to always say they're never absolutes in nature, but typically most wildlife is generally going to be spooked by the bear. If it is something where, you know, maybe you have a mama moose with a calf nearby and she views your dog as a threat, then she will try and eliminate that threat. And so that's where that recall training is just imperative and keeping kind of a tight, tight control and keeping your dogs at a close radius is, is the best and safest thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just being aware of the potential risks, especially if you don't live in an area with bears. I think just being mindful and knowing your dog. Yeah, that's kind of the vibe that I get from you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you know your dog better than anyone else. Uh, yes. you know, so knowing, hey, is this the safest thing for me right now? Is this the safest thing for my dog? You know, I mean, my dogs are my kids. They're my my best friends. And <laughs> I always want to make sure that they're safe. And so, you know, I, I take them in places where I know that I can have control of them. They can safely recreate and we can recreate together. And I avoid taking them to other areas. And maybe certain times a year where bears might be more active, I might avoid bringing them out, you know, if it's if it's a place like that, you know, maybe during late fall when bears are trying to fatten up and they're just kind of focused on getting as much food as possible. I might avoid bringing my dogs to the Jewel Basin, you know, an area where I love hiking. So. Yes, absolutely. So you talked a lot about like how the bears association with humans can either be positive or negative, like the bear spray, or they're getting rewarded with the food. Sorry, this might feel like kind of like a hard switch since we were just talking about the dogs, but I do want to talk about food because that is, I think you'll know better than me, but I think like one of the big reasons why bear attacks happen and also why there are specific like I don't know what to say, like bear management going on in different parks as far as like if a bear needs to be eliminated because it now poses a greater risk because of the food exposure. So maybe if you could touch on just like general bear management, but also like how it gets to that point and how we should properly store our food. I know you mentioned a few options, but... Yeah, yeah, that's it's important to to bring up, you know, bear management is is obviously it's going to vary based on whatever jurisdiction you're in, national park, you know, state park, state lands, whatever. And, you know, typically that management outside of your basic research and determining population numbers, management is going to refer to to hazing and negative encounters. So there are things like, you know, cracker shells, rubber shots and shotguns and bean bags that are shot at bears. You know, if they come too close into campgrounds and a lot of like, you know, park law enforcement might be doing that, might be trying to negatively haze that bear. I've even worked in an area where we, we shot paintballs at bears sometimes, you know, just to kind of like, again, hey, you're not supposed to be here when you are around that many humans, bad things happen. So, you know, like whether or not you're a fan of, of negative conditioning versus positive, 
you know, I prefer not to let it get to that point. You know, we need to let bears be bears and let bears be wild. An animal like a grizzly bear obviously needs a lot of space. And that's why people flock and, you know, to see them. And they're such a majestic animal because they represent that true wildness and that just the things that we are attracted to. So to keep bears wild and to keep humans safe and to keep bears safe, of course, always try and, you know, prevention is is a lot better than, than having to react. And so again, utilizing our human voice with food storage, even if you're maybe camping in front country, just be aware of the smells that you're making. A lot of people don't even realize things like toothpaste and chapstick and deodorant to a bear still smells like food. You know, these artificial smells, it's still an attractant for them. In the backcountry, you know, and this is something that I, I run into quite often are folks that might prepare their food in the same clothes that they go to sleep in. And they need to realize that, you know, those food smells are all over the clothes that you just, you know, cooked your ramen noodles in or whatever. And you're gonna, you know, yeah, you hung your food bag, but you're still wearing that puffy that has all of those food smells on it, you know? In fact, I just did a training with staff the other day about safe backcountry, you know, food cooking. So it's something that I think we need to be like uber cautious and uber aware of, of things that we don't still smell. You know, a bear smells several days ago, the food that you have on your fingers that, you know, despite having multiple showers since then, they still smell those oils or those smells. So just being overly cautious and being overly aware that every smell that I'm making that even I smell, a bear is going to smell tenfold and from so much further of a distance away. And so just being aware of that. Yeah, it feels like a lot of like bear safety just has to do with awareness and kind of knowledge about like the proper procedures. And so like what resources would you recommend to people that want to like have a higher level of safety and awareness around them? Yeah, yeah. Do your research in terms of the area you're going to recreate in. Of course, you know, certain jurisdictions have mandates, of course, you know, whether or not you have to carry a bear canister in certain areas. Maybe, you know, bear canisters aren't required, but they might be recommended. Knowing what the regulations are in your area are really important and doing your research. Also, just researching bear behavior in general. There's a wonderful book by Stephen Herrero titled Bear Attacks, Their Causes and Avoidance. Really great. Tons of great, you know, YouTube resources out there on on doing proper bear hangs. There are lots of resources out there at this point where folks can really kind of, you know, get educated. A lot of folks will say, talk to your local park staff. That's always an option. Also contact their partner, their education partner, you know, find out the people that live and work in the area and kind of what they do. You know, certainly again, safety isn't an accident. You're going to prepare for it. And so learning what folks that have a little more experience in that area are doing is always the safest bet. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll be sure to share the book that you mentioned and maybe a couple other resources in the show notes. But how can people learn more about your work and Glacier Institute? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Glacier Institute is, you know, again, the the education partner of Glacier National Park. We do year round courses. Our website is glacierinstitute.org. My email is just garrett at glacierinstitute.org. And I'm always happy to answer questions. Yeah, we we pride ourselves on kind of being the leaders in, in outdoor education in this area and, and really focusing on bear safety, whether that's front country or back country. We do tons of outreach regarding bears all the way down to teaching little kids in summer camps, you know, so we have a wide variety of class offerings and always encourage anyone to just reach out if they have any questions or concerns. 
Awesome. Yeah, I'll be sure to share that information as well in the show notes. But with that, I'm really glad that you had the time to come on and share all of that valuable information. And I hope people learned something. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, again, I'm always happy to answer questions. So if people, you know, need some more information, feel free to reach out. Oh yeah, I feel like there's so many more questions I could have asked about bears, but I kind of wanted to keep it like, kind of like specific to like the top questions. So yeah, yeah, um, I teach multi multi day courses on bears, so keeping it you know pretty pretty quick is tough sometimes. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.